Am I ranting too much? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) You're not being honest with me, Brad? Is that what's going on? No. What is up, everybody? I'm Jason Trost, the host of the Business of Betting podcast. I am joined with a journalist uh, who I've known for quite some years now, Brad Allen. Uh, he currently writes for the Legal Sports Report. And I'm really um, personally enjoying him having him on the podcast because A, he's got tons of opinions, but B, it's, it'll be nice for me to be asking the questions for once and sort of turn the mic around. But uh, very much looking forward to having Brad on. Um, you know, as I'm taking over the host of this podcast, I'm I'm experimenting with different formats. You know, we've done the bio format. What I thought we could do today was kind of kick around some of the big news that's been happening with Brad. Um, there's a few big news stories. There's one uh, Jason Robbins commenting on social with the uh, with uh, BetBull leaving the market uh, or when shutting down BetBull rather, and uh, PointsBet doing a deal with Susquehanna, uh, amongst other stories. So, Brad, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Um, you must be you must be getting thin on guests already. If you if you turn to me after very four very thin, very yeah. thin. So uh, you were my last choice. So thanks for thanks for coming on. So um, yeah. So I don't know which which story should we kick off with. Let's start with the the social. What do you what yes. do you make of? Uh, well, why don't you start with the headline for those that aren't familiar um, with Bet Bowl and Win and what's going on there? Yeah. So this is news that. Win shut down Betbull. Um, they acquired them back in 2020, um, and they, they basically made Betbull the foundation of their US business, Win Interactive. Um, they, they put about 80 million into that joint venture, um, and then Win owned 71%. Former Betbull owners held 29%. Um, but then it came out this week that Betbull was shutting down, um, and my understanding is that that was a that was a Win decision. Um, the biz, they I think the idea is that Betbull was losing a fair bit of money. Um, now, I can't be sure exactly how much money because obviously Wynn's a public company. They're not going to say that kind of numbers until probably their next earnings report. But I think, you know, sort of 10 million plus was, was one of the figures floated about. And Wynn has obviously said in the US they want to stop losing money on sports betting. So I think they're probably looking at their US business, um, which is, you know, it's still one of the smaller ones. It's still losing money itself. And they're looking at this UK business also losing money. And I think they've gone, why are we, why are we spending money on it on a UK business that's, that's probably not growing? You know, the UK market is, as, as you all know, is, is very tough, especially for smaller companies. So why are, we, why are we losing money in two places? Why are we not focusing all our money on, on WinBet in the US where, you know, we've got great, probably got a great brand. Um, and, um, as Casino comes online, you know, that they can, they can plow some resources into that plow the money into that and um you know probably long term it's a better business just to be Um, fair to win doesn't every sports betting company in the u.s lose money yes i mean i think everyone is losing i don't think anybody's making money in the u.s they were one of the first to come out and say this is silly um we don't like we don't want to be involved in this marketing race and so they they stopped throwing money at it to the same extent on marketing and they, they pivoted it a little bit I think two ways. One was you might have seen the um, like the live stream they did opening NBA lines, um, to, you know, to make themselves a bit more of that 
circa light you could almost call it kind of the, the, the sharp sports book like this is the trading room this is us coming up with our lines mm-hmm. and then the other thing i think they're doing is trying to be a bit more vip focused again that i think that comes with the WinBet brand right uh, you know they're, they're they're a place for high rollers um so i think that's that's the other part of the plan there so i've never used bet bowl um but from i've seen the interface and it what, what really kind of struck me is it felt like a, quite a jokey approach to sports betting. It kind of had that candy crush. Um, what's that game? Everybody plays jewel, you know, like you get like, you get like diamond points and like, and you know, bet was noticeable in the sense that, and, and this kind of will lead into the second story actually, but it was notable in the sense that it was first trying to like gamify and social uh, the industry, but I always thought it was it was missing the mark trying to turn sports betting more into like a like um you know like a social game. Like, did you ever use it? Did you do you have an opinion on on their approach to sports betting? I never used it. I think sort of the feedback I've got since this story came out is that one of the problems is okay, you know, you're you're in these groups, you're you're all jumping on a eight team acker for on a Saturday football. But obviously, everyone's going to lose doing that. And so if you're paying, what are you going to lose doing eight-team Ackers on a Saturday? You're going to lose double-digit percent, say 20%. And if you're just following someone in on the group, you know, for for fun, for for banter and whatnot on a Saturday, yeah, maybe it's fun for a week or two. But when you just keep losing all your money, um, how how sustainable is that? Um, and, you know, again, the one of the things from the win side of this, I think, is that maybe it works, this kind of smaller staking, you know, accumulator bets, if you're already at a massive scale. But if you're already a small company like Betball and you're not getting big stakes in, everyone's betting a tenner, like it's just a tough way to run a business, right? Mm. No, no. And do you remember what year Betball was bought out by Win? It was like three uh, I've years got, ago, something like that. I've got, they acquired the controlling stake back in 2020. But I think they started working together back in 2018. I think that was on the the front end stuff. I think a lot of the win bets front end in the US is is Betball Tech, and they've yeah. got sort of a Frankenstein back end solution from various. Well, <laughs> speaking of the Frankenstein back end, like one of my pet uh, pet uh, opinions in the industry is that the technology is terrible in sports betting, and and almost every major operator outsources key parts of their technology. But Betball, as far as I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, is that uh, they outsource their, their, the betting engine. Um, I think it was IGT or something like that. But basically, Betball was just a front-end interface on top of a, sports, uh, on top of a third-party sports book, which made it even more, from my perspective, confusing that Wynn would go try to buy this because they weren't really buying technology. They were just basically buying... Um, Bejeweled, that's the name I was looking for, Bejeweled Interface to Sports Betting, which I might pay, want to pay a little bit less than $80 million for a Bejeweled Interface to Sports Betting. Yeah, well, there, I think there's also been a change in leadership at Win Interactive, at Win itself. I think both have different CEOs now. Um, so I do wonder if, I think Ian Williams is president of Win Interactive now. Um, I do wonder if he came in and said, what have we bought here for, for $80 million? You know, wow. We've got a We've got a UK business losing money um, yeah. and just some front-end tech, which I guess is probably the easiest part of the tech stack to, to recreate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you keep your ear closer to the ground than I do. Did did Do I remember a story that Wynn announced that they were getting out of sports betting or they were trying to sell their sports betting business? 
There was a New York, they definitely shocked it. They definitely shocked the interactive business. I think the report was thereafter like 600 to 800 million US dollars. Um, and, you know, it sounds like no no one was willing to pay that essentially. So sounds nice. Yeah. So, so they, they pivoted that strategy. They said, well, if no one's going to pay it, what can we do with it? And they sort of went through that strategic change we talked about earlier where, you know, more focus on VIPs, more focus on casino gaming, um, just stop throwing money away on, on advertising in the yeah. short term, especially and, and, while gone. And, and maybe this is where, you know, I come, I come at this industry from a completely different perspective, but you know, the, I, I've been to win in Vegas. It's a beautiful property. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the nicer casinos of court by far on the strip. And, you know, to me, Wynn is a master real estate company. You know, they, they build beautiful real estate. They sell condos, they sell apartments, and they sell entertainment around people going to visit those. And that has nothing, nothing to do with sports betting. So to me, the idea that Wynn would even try to attempt to get into the sports betting industry, it's sort of like Mercedes deciding that they're going to manufacture pools or something. You know, like there's... There's such different businesses, sports betting, with the real estate industry that I think one of the giant misconceptions, um, at least in the American psyche, is that it's just an add-on to a physical casino. And sports betting really is more closer to you know, finance, trading, hedge fund world than it is to real estate, property, slot machines, entertainment. So I think, you know, what, you know of course, there's many companies that can do uh, successful industries well you know like comcast is one of those that has different major verticals of industries or you know ge was another company that that could do that but i don't see a lot of these casino brands um uh being able to successfully do a digital product in a digital age with a financial engine under the background do you do you agree with that perspective or do you think that a well-funded well-branded casino can can play well in the sports betting industry I think I think so. The approach you're talking about, I mean, I think Las Vegas Sands is is quite interesting because they're one of these casino giants which has gone, nah, we're not we're not going to try it. And they've said what we're going to do, we're going to invest in B two B suppliers to the industry. Mm. So they've invested in US Integrity, which obviously does the integrity monitoring. They invested in Huddle Tech, which is trying to provide some some back end tech for sports betting. And they they've sort of gone, well, okay, our brand is casino gaming we're not going to try and be experts um which is probably definitely the safer route right instead of instead of lose you know i think win probably lost 100 million dollars or something on, on sports betting last year um for like one percent market share so i don't know that as i say they're still giving it a go they still think they have something long term um but i guess yeah we'll, we'll see I, I would probably say that the vegas sands is, is looking shrewder so far yeah, I, I definitely think that it's a smarter approach. Uh, but in, in my humble opinion, um, I think casinos should stick to what they know, which is real estate entertainment, and it's not, it's not sports betting. Well, talking about social apps, uh, Mr. Robbins was in the news this week um, in an article that you wrote, and I, I, I saw Richard Flint kind of comment on, on that. I th- you know, I'm not one that necessarily agrees with Jason Robbins very often. I think he's spot on with his quote. I think that the major players in the UK really haven't tried it. I think we've tried it around the edges, but we've never really given it a serious go. Um, do you think that he's right? Do you agree with his quote? 
I, I'd, well, I'd like to get your opinion in, in a sec. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Smarkets has social features in in SBK, so yeah. I'd like to hear what you think. I think Richard's point is they did try. <laughs> they they spent a lot of time on stuff like TV betting and then Skybet group bets. So did Jason they, Robin. Well, if if Richard Flint says they did, then no, I'm, I'm gonna not say saying they, they didn't did, try. Right? I'm not saying they didn't try, but I don't I don't ever remember reading about or people talking about as Skybet group betting. I've never heard anybody like Skybet has had much success over the last 10, 15 years. It's probably one of the bigger, you know, growth stories of the last couple of years, and uh, it was never part of the narrative that social was the driver of that. It was the experience. It was the brand. It was. Um, it was, uh, you know, the pick six that they do, which is quite yeah. successful. You know, it's all these kinds of things. It's never around social. I think that's because it didn't work. So we yeah. covered the launch of it at EGR, uh, Skybet Group Bets, when they did that, I don't know, say five years ago now. And, I, you know, I tried it. I formed a little three-person group. And, you know, it was just we did it maybe one week or two weeks and just stopped using it. And I, I suspect that was the case for everyone. It just wasn't, it just wasn't a good experience. Like, there was no need for it, essentially. Um and I suppose when when Jason like Jason Robbins was asked that question because DraftKings is doing their own social things and they have a thing called bet groups, right? It's and it's it's almost the exact same thing. I think that there's two key parts of the DraftKings mm. social things. One is the bet groups where you can yeah, you all be on the same bet again, a bit like Betball, which has just died. Um and then the other part is the social feed. Again, I'm betting this follow fade with one click kind of thing. Um, which I suppose that's a bit more like the SBK thing. And I just, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I feel like a lot of companies have tried it and it's just not taken off. That's why it's, that's why Skybet was never known for it because it just, it just didn't make much money for them. It wasn't a, a big feature in the end. Yeah. I, I mean, my take is that social absolutely has a role to play in sports betting. I think the reason it hasn't is because the right alchemy of technology innovation and, you know, the right kind of, people haven't worked on the problem, but you know, if you, if you take the offline experience of somebody placing a sports bet, there's nothing that person wants to do more than talk about their bet, like who they have, what they got, like why they think that's right. You know, sports, sports uh, are an, it's an inherently social thing. You know, even the person that will sit home, watch the basketball game by themselves wants to call their buddy that they know is also watching the game to talk about what they think. So, you have that kind of aspect of betting where it's 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 inherently social. Like people b- want to talk about their bet. Now, on, on the other hand, um, yeah, I started as a stock trader, and the thing I noticed with stock, tra- you know, when I was a kid, I would tra- very 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 small stakes. I would trade stocks, you know, like fifty shares, hundred shares, kind of thing. But um, you know, when I got to this trading firm, people didn't want to shut up about what they were buying and selling. Like traders are are, you know, you kind of think about if you're not from the industry, you think about buying and selling shares as uh, like dollars and cents, financial rationale, all that kind of stuff. But really the socio, the social underpinning of human psychology is, is the, is the big force that moves markets. And so it's really important to understand the sentiment in the market um, when you're buying and selling stocks. So to me, nobody really thinks about like this, but the first real social network in stock trading was CNBC. So it's very similar to sort of keeping a soccer game or a football game off in the back, like the background noise um, uh, and like listening to the tone of the announcer to know if it's something worth watching or not. 
So there is something inherent in stock trading. There's something inherent in sports betting where people are craving that sentiment knowledge, whether it's from an experiential point of view, whether it's from a financial point of view. Now, I think the big failure is going back to what I was saying about the alchemy. I don't think the right people are working on the, 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 the problem, like no disrespect to Skybet and the other major players in the industry, but they're not technology companies. They're not, they're marketing companies. They're very, very good marketing companies. Um, but at their core, at their core DNA, they're not technology companies. And I think that's the big reason that like, we just haven't seen good products at it. I would also say DraftKings at its core is not a technology. FanDuel at its core is not a technology company. Win, of course, you know, Win is another example. They're a real estate company. So when- am I ranting too much? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're not being honest with me, Brad? Is that what's going on? No. God. All right. What do you think of that, Brad? Um, I would say two things. One, I guess, as you say, everyone wants to give their opinion. But do you, like, do other people want to hear it? Like, do you care what some random bloke on DraftKings has just bet? Because mm. I don't, unless he has a long-term track record of being a winner. Mm. And I think like this is probably this might be why things like Bet Bull have failed. Because yes, it's, it is great fun to win together, but ultimately, ninety-eight percent of people doing this are going to lose. And losing together is not fun losing like giving people bets and they lose or following people who lose is is not it's the opposite of fun like i'd say most people would rather lose a bet on their own opinion like nothing feels worse than just losing your bet because someone else told you to bet it i feel Mm -hmm. like so you know yeah i just think that that's the that's the core problem like eventually we're all going to lose and if you're losing on someone else's opinion it feels even worse than losing on your own own opinion I, I agree with that, but I think that that has to do with the innovation, the model, the social model. You know, if you take TikTok, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, all these different kind of social media platforms, they all have different models. You know, some are private, some are public, some are follow model, some are, you know, WhatsApp is a very one-on-one communication mechanism, whereas Twitter can be used as a broadcast mechanism. It could be used as a niche mechanism. So I... I I don't think the industry and markets included has nailed that kind of um, what the right metaf- the right social metaphor is in the industries. Um, personally, I think it's it's a mixture of finding people who you think know what they're doing. You know, people who are super fans, and you, you know, I'd be interested to know what super fans think, and I'd also want to know what my friends think. Yeah, I, I suppose the the problem's always been you. If I can find that right now on Twitter or Reddit or Discord or whatever, like you know, I mean, I'm in a lot of dedicated sports betting discords. So, is it? Is it? I just think it would be tricky, as you say. These are sports betting companies with a million other things to do. How are they going to recreate Discord um, in their own platform? Is I assume that's going to be a massive task. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Let's pivot to the next story. Um, Susquehanna buying a minority stake, a significant minority stake of. Points bet um, in rough numbers, they bought about twelve percent for about sixty-five million dollars. Um, do you want to set this story up um, for the reader, for the listeners, rather? Yes. So Susquehanna, obviously a giant kind of Wall Street trading firm. Um, as, as I was reading one of the stories this week, and they said if you've ever bought a stock on Robinhood or E-Trade or eToro, you've probably traded against Susquehanna. You know, they're just a huge market maker in, in that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so they they bought about twelve percent of points bet, um, and for yeah sixty six million. And one of the interesting parts of this was 
that they're one of Susquehanna's subsidiaries, Nelly Analytics, which is basically a sports punting group out in um, Ireland at the minute. As part of the deal, they are going to be sort of attached to uh, PointsBet's own trading unit, Bannock Technology, and they're going to have a, a nine-month trial period to see if, if Nelly can bring any, if they can if they can help out on the live product, essentially, whether that's sort of live odds by the sounds of it, whether they can sharpen up the trading. Um, so just a quick quote from PointsBet CEO. He said that this deal would give PointsBet more accurate lines and sharper risk management, particularly in play. Uh, this will flow through to our customers in the form of higher wagering limits, less price suspension, faster bet placements. Um, so yeah, they're basically attaching uh, Nelly Analytics to uh, to PointsBet to see if they can uh, improve their live betting product. Yeah, totally. So for full disclosure, Susquehanna is one of our major investors. So, um, you know, definitely have experience with them. So I've talked to the Nelly guys. They're, they're really smart guys and, and have, have done a lot in sports betting. I think one of the big things going on here is, you know, something that people don't talk about, um, which you alluded to in your introduction about the story is that order flow is king here. So there's, there's a few different aspects to, to making money in sports betting professionally. One of those aspects is you have a model or a price and you know, you know, you want to buy low and sell high in the in the classic trading sense and, and sports betting is no different. You you want to guess what the right price is and you want to buy low and sell high. Fundamentally speaking, there's two ways to do that. There's a technical model and a fundamental model. Technical model is you look at what everybody else is trading and take a view. Fundamental fundamental model is you understand the basics of the sport and you have a computer algorithm that tells you what the right, right price is. That's that's really a big chunk of sports betting. And I think when a lot of people t talk about betting syndicates and trading companies, they think of that aspect of the, the trading company. But I think one of the really, really important aspects of sports betting is that you make money uh, trading against retail flow. Who has the retail flow? It's sports books. And sports books don't have some nice little API that you can go plug into and say, hey, I want to trade against a points bet customer. So what I think is happening in this deal is that, and and I should state, I have no inside information. I was not involved in this at all, and and I was not consulted at all in this deal. So this is my outside opinion, is that uh, Nelly needed access to retail flow, and this is a really good way to try to do that. So that that's my take on this deal. And from um from an equity point of view, you know, I think PointsBet is down seventy percent from its peak, and uh, you know they probably thought that the stock is. Much more reason, much more reasonably priced than it was a long time, you know, about a year ago, and uh, it's a relatively cheap way to try to experiment with getting um, retail order flow. What do you think about that? I agree. I think yeah, that is that is part of the part of the thinking here. But my thought is, I feel like PointsBet didn't want it. Um, I feel like Susquehanna said, "We've got sixty six million for you, but <laughs> yeah, we we want these guys, you know, in your trading room." maybe access to order flow yeah that kind of thing because the deal is it's a nine-month trial period where nelly is basically working for free yeah. and then it's you know then they can expand it to a, a full-time th three-year deal so i do feel like points bet accepted this grudgingly like talking to people <laughs> who know both of them right they're, they're both sort of dublin based island based you know sports betting syndicates i think people people i spoke to had, had worked with them both and they said banak has a very specific way of doing things it's, it's very automated that you know these are the processes we stick to them whereas it sounds like nelly is a bit more opinions based a bit less automated which to me is they they're not necessarily going to fit together 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, whether this is extended into a full-time deal or points bet sort of tries to wriggle out of it. Yeah, it, that's a good point. I, you know, like the market-based way to do this would be to let Benick and Nelly trade with each other and, uh, and you know, compete in price and whoever has the best price gets it. But that's not how sportsbooks work. I mean, that's one of the big uh, shortcomings of sportsbooks is that generally there's one price, one seller, and, uh, you know, you can get the hell out of here if you don't want to trade it. You know, you can't trade a sportsbook. It's, it's, a, it's a limitation of the technology. I would guess that, uh, you know, if they have two in-house trading companies, they will, there will be competitive tension because it's not, there is no marketplace dynamics like some project manager or some account manager is going to have to make the call who gets to make the price in this, this market. Yeah, I, I wanted to get your take on this quote from Susquehanna co-founder Jeff Yass. He said, uh, this this deal is a bet that customers will eventually find the apps with the best pricing and SIG, Susquehanna, is good at pricing. That's our bet that the best price is going to win. If it's a marketing contest, Susquehanna doesn't add much value. Now, I, I know that's kind of your point of view, right? Mm -hmm. But we've not necessarily seen that in Europe. Uh, the pricing dynamics driving... New yeah, the, the, the pricing's king. I think, uh, you know, and uh, I'm going to talk about this from my perspective. I, you know, I'm not the host of this podcast to promote my business whatsoever. So I just want to say that. But the reason, you know, SBK often has the best odds in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think like the tier one stuff, we have the best odds in the world. The tier two stuff, tier three stuff, sometimes we don't have a price, sometimes we don't have a market. Um, and and SBK, the product drops the ball on the long tail, the the big stuff we we do really well on. And you can see that in the odds checker data, you know, our click share is going up and up over time. So I think we're building that kind of that that industry awareness that we have the best price. The reason I think odds hasn't taken over yet, or the price as being the big driver, is because I don't think anybody like us has found the right product market fit for the price to be a driver. Um, I think SBK doesn't have enough features that people expect, you know, like something that every other bookmaker has except us is lucky 15, for example. So if you want lucky 15, you can't use SBK. So my hypothesis is that long-term it will win long-term it will win in the UK, but you also have to have that kind of that 1.0 experience that everybody else expects. And SBK has not made, made that mark. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean the the other th the other big thing Jeff Yass is big on is that sports betting is financial products basically, or you know he, he thinks there's the two of them are, are going to become much closer together. Um, I think he said, what did he say here? He basically said the, the same skills that's needed to price options is the same skills that's needed to to trade a book. Um, and that's again. That's. Uh, what, do you think that's something we might see in the U.S. That it's it's more of a financial style product, say say low margins, high volume, more than more than like the European model of of, of a ten pound acker on a Saturday. Yeah, and just for full disclosure, I've I've had many conversations with Jeff about the industry. You know, like I said, he's one of our investors. So, I this is an area I completely agree with him. This is why I founded Smarkets. Um, my co-founder and I were from the financial industry. My co-founder worked at. Uh, Wolverine Trading, which is a pretty big option market making firm, and and I came from UBS and a and a small trading shop in Chicago, so I hundred percent believe that uh, sports betting should be treated like a financial product. I think, you know, you don't have to be a magician to see that price really drives a lot of customer behavior. 
long-term in finance and, and all industries, really. You know, I was just trying to buy some, uh, you know, it's a small thing, but, um, you know, I was trying to buy some accessories for my car. And, you know, you go on Amazon, you price compare, you know, they, they have all the third price sellers and, um, you know, I want to pay less money for the thing I'm trying to buy. So it's, it's not, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that consumers are driven by price. What, you know, what has confounded me is that the industry has, I wouldn't say it's not collusion, but it's kind of this, like, it's more complacency that this five, six, seven, 8% margin is just part of the game. And like, we just all have to deal with it. I think it's my, my theory is because companies like us haven't gotten to scale and there's not enough new entrants and new blood in the, in the space to kind of make this happen. But I think with the new expansion of the U S uh, the increased investor interest, the increase, you know, once Silicon Valley has still sat on the sidelines by and large in sports betting. But I think if you ever see Silicon Valley really, or, you know, tech investors really embrace sports betting, um, that's when the floodgates will open and, price will be the the main driver of this yeah maybe uh, maybe if california legalizes sports betting we might get some more interest uh, from google and apple and co yeah I, I don't know if they'll ever get involved but i think you'll see a lot of um uh what's the right word uh sentiment shifts you know like sports betting has always been kind of a dirty word in the u.s and i think that's changing you know especially you know like as espn starts to do espn has always been a very strong family brand you know if espn and disney can continent sports betting surely um the attitudes have changed um uh briefly or, or widely so l- last story i want to talk about um why don't you talk about typico fanatics and that story yes yeah, so the cnbc reported yesterday that uh fanatics is what is in talks with um german sportsbook typico um, and obviously, Fanatics has been linked with just about everyone as it looks to get into U.S. sports betting. Um, you know, we, we we had a story a while back that they were very close to a deal with Amelco. Um, now, again, this is this is just talks, so I think <laughs> I think they're just talking to literally everyone um, possible out there. So I think it's been they've been linked with points bet. Bets and maybe even Bet Rivers, um, as I say, Amelco and now Typico. Um, I guess f- f- a couple of things off the bat. One is that Typico was valued at 1.5 billion like six years ago, and it's it's the market leader in Germany. So I can't think it's it's going to be you know I would have thought it'd be double that by now. And Fanatics, I think, only had around it re- recently raised one and a half billion, so it might need some more cash to get that deal done. Um, obviously market access is one of the big things for fanatics in the U S especially because it needs, it needs, it needs 10 licenses to be eligible for another license in California. And it's, it's, it's giving a lot of money to that effort. So as far as I can make out, Typico's got at least four licenses and it's got a deal with Caesars that could potentially give it a few more. So, um, you know, that that's going to get, that's going to get fanatics a lot of the way to its, its 10 license limit that it wants uh and then technology is probably the other big one um typico's got its own stuff in germany um and i think they're they're only live in new jersey and colorado so far so not really made a dent in the us yet i would say one of the things we've seen with with these companies like bet365 and typico who are sort of market leaders in their native land is is they seem to have had trouble moving the tech stack over to the us i think because you need so you need to basically rebuild it in each state right so if you've got a big clunky tech stack um it seems to take these companies a few years to recreate it 
That is something I have direct experience with. There's something called GLI-33, which is a very annoying, well-intentioned, very annoying document that is sort of sets up the standards. Um, I, I think Nevada pioneered GLI-33, and, and some states have adopted it, some haven't. For example, Colorado follows a version of GLI-33 where Indiana has a strict version of GLI-33. And so what you have to do is take your tech stack and you go to, this is if you own a tech stack. This is, uh, I guess, a roundabout, one of the benefits of using a third party because the third party will, you know, if you use Canby, they'll have done this for you. But if you own your own tech, you have to go to GLI um, and get it certified. And, you know, there's two or three um, uh, companies that will certify this for you. But very, very frustratingly, they're all different. They have very micro uh, requirements, you know, this state will require you to get logged out. This one requires notification under this change and, and, uh, it can be very much a death of a thousand cuts and, and it is very painful. Payments is another thing that's very painful. It's also state-based. Um, you have to, you have to have your, uh, infrastructure located in the state. You have to have your payment agreements in the state. You have to have your, uh, software certified in the state. So I think this is a, huge area where America has really screwed up. Um, I really disagree with a lot of the approaches of the state regulators and the state legislators. And I think the better model personally is the UK model. So, you know, I, I sympathize with a lot of these operators being very slow to roll out in the US because I, I think it's very poorly uh, set up. Yeah. Quick, uh, quick side note. Did you see Colorado's regulator got a, uh, a wrap across the knuckles recently for not enough due diligence on its operators? Was I, I didn't see that. What was, no? um, what was the story? It, it was, it was a state audit of, of the regulator in oh. its first couple of years. And they basically said they hadn't done enough due diligence on most of the operators because they just gave them all temporary licenses. So I was going to ask you uh, your experience. Like I feel for a lot of these regulators because most of them come, and this is another thing, you know, this goes back to when trying to do sports betting. It happens on the regulation side where people take physical casino people and try to get them to regulate an online financial industry and they just don't compute. And so I, you know, I think it's the same in Colorado and Indiana that and I'm talking about these two States because these are the ones I have direct experience with. I think it's a case where the, the group in the government that regulates the physical casino is also regulating the online sports betting. Um, they're completely different, completely different issues. So I think I would blame the legislators for creating these things. And, and also I think on a state level, it's just too small. Um, uh, I, I think the regulation should be on a federal level and I think the tax should be on the state level. I think that's the right way to, you know, like you could have, um, you know, one of the federal government regulate sports betting in all 50 states and each state could just decide what they want the tax rate to be and if it's if they can go live or not and that would be the right way to to do this but trying to ask casino physical casino regulators to do sports betting i think is a is a bad way to set it up so i wouldn't blame the regulators i'd blame the the legislator on that yeah you would say that though wouldn't you would i <laughs> well that was cool thanks uh thanks for the news roundup um listeners if you have any comments or feedback i'm experimenting with different formats um i i think it, i i enjoyed this i think it was a nice way to kind of recap the industry news and and thanks for jumping on anything you want to say brad 
no, thank you for having me. I'm uh, always interesting, as I say, always good to hear from you. You always got a few good quotes. <laughs> All right. Catch you guys later, um, and we will uh, post another episode next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.